Good afternoon, friends. This is Living with Liberty, and I am Ryan. Today is Friday, November 20th, 2020. Today I will talk about why you should go to Thanksgiving dinner, do it safely, of course, and how history is repeating itself with the corrupt CDC, all next on Living with Liberty. Go to those Thanksgiving dinners. Go see your families. I, for one, am tired of the lies and double standards, and there's 74-plus million Americans who agree with me on that, as well as countless others around the world who are standing up to these ridiculous mandates and lockdowns. Don't get me wrong, the virus is serious for some, and we need to do all we can to protect them. We also need to do what we need to do to protect ourselves. But the risks don't outweigh the benefits here of continuing on with an American tradition of going to see family and being with family on Thanksgiving. It is up to us as liberty-loving Americans to make the choices that are right for us. That decision is not held by some big brother government or unelected bureaucrat not accountable to anyone. The actions of these elected officials continue to fly in the face of what we are told anyway. The hypocrisy is off the charts with these people. You have Lori Lightfoot, maskless, out in the streets with a bullhorn in a mass of people after the Pravda media declared China Joe president-elect. She's just out there spitting COVID all over the place. Then a few days later, old Beetlejuice urges people to cancel their Thanksgiving plans. When she was asked on an interview on MSDNC why it was okay to be out in the street celebrating, but people are urged not to gather with family, she dodged the question. She said we need to have relief and come together. So it's okay to have relief and come together with a bunch of strangers? You have no idea where they've been, who they've been, who they've been in contact with? Mind you, these are the people that are the most scared of the virus and keep calling for lockdowns and masks and the like? But it's not okay to gather and, and and come together and have relief with your own family? So what she's saying is it's okay to come together and celebrate socialism but not okay to come together and celebrate family and tradition. Sorry, Lori, doesn't work that way. Families get together on Thanksgiving. That is the relief they need right now. That's the relief we need right now. The normalcy of an American tradition. That is what people need after this year of tyrants like you issuing issuing decrees not rooted in science, or fact, only fear and a desire for control. Now, out on the left coast, we have a couple of other instances of elected officials looking down their noses at us in disgust. Gavin Newsom, the California governor, felt it was more important to attend a birthday celebration for a political advisor friend rather than live by his own rules. The dinner was at the French Laundry, a Michelin-starred restaurant, no less. 
Nothing screams, I am a king, and you are just plebeians like dining at a Michelin star restaurant while telling everyone else they have to stay home. He says, I made a bad mistake. I should have left when I noticed the crowd was bigger than I anticipated. Well, let's be real, Gavin. You weren't passing that dinner up. I'm sure, being that it was for a political advisor, buddy, there were a lot of others there that you needed to schmooze. Meanwhile, the orders you put in place for your uh, constituents of your state uh, say there's no more than three households that can gather. Events had to be held outside. Last less than two hours. And you're discouraging singing, chanting, and shouting. Not to mention, put your masks on while you're out with your family and your masks on in between bites. So your little dinner was outside. Was it three households or less? Did it last less than two hours? Doesn't sound like it. I'm sure there were a lot of close quarters conversation in that uh, dinner as well. I hate to tell you, but your edict is null and void constitutionally as it relates to people's private property. It will not hold weight against the Constitution in court. Sorry, Gavin. Californians aren't serfs, and you have no right to tell them what they can and cannot do on their property. So staying in California for this edition of elected officials behaving badly, state legislators there felt they needed a vacation from King Newsom's orders. So they decided to attend an annual conference on Maui. Now, to be fair to these California legislators, lawmakers from Texas and Washington were also attending that conference. Now, that conference, hosted by the Independent Voter Project, has been happening every November for a decade. Now, with everything else being canceled, including many conferences this year that have been outright canceled or gone virtual, you would figure they would also have done the same with this one, right? Nope. And these politicians aren't going to turn down an expenses-paid trip to Maui. The Independent Voter Project paid $550 for their airfares, as well as a five-night stay at the Fairmont Kealani, which right now is going for 600 bucks a night. This whole thing is a schmooze fest as businesses and trade groups pay thousands of dollars for access to these lawmakers over the course of the week. Now, the lawmakers, of course, are not being named, lest their constituents actually know who they are and try to hold them accountable to this. So we have politicians who have no courage to step out and say, yes, I'm going to this Maui schmooze fest where we will talk to companies and let them determine how best to waste taxpayer dollars. All of this during a pandemic where there are attendees from two states with some of the harshest measures in place to keep the citizenry locked away. Do you really think that there's anything to worry about? Do Lightfoot's, Newsom's, and these legislators' actions say, this is such a dangerous virus, we need to cancel Thanksgiving. I think not. It says to me, they don't believe all the BS they spew from their mouths. They just see the people as plebeians who are subservient to them. Obviously, the risk isn't that great if you're in the middle of a crowd of strangers, no mask, yelling into a bullhorn. It can't be that bad if you are dining with a bunch of other people not from your household, having conversations in close quarters, 
doubtful that there's a mask being worn there. It can't be that bad if you're on a plane for five or six hours going to Maui. Quit treating us like we're stupid. We're not. Either live by your rules or lift the restrictions. Speaking of treating people like they are stupid, let's talk about the CDC and how they continually try to justify their existence. Their main goal seems to be set moving goalposts to continue to drive fear among the people. They have been inflating flu statistics for years. The reason? To drive fear so people will get the flu vaccine. A vaccine, mind you, that is only 40% effective on average. It has oscillated between 10% effective and 60% effective, settling on an average of that 40%. You don't think so? In his article titled, Don't Believe Everything You Read About Flu Deaths, Lawrence Solomon goes through how the CDC started playing up flu deaths around 2004 after the 2003 flu season saw not many orders and complaints from the manufacturers for flu vaccines. Associate Director at the time, Dr. Glenn Nowak, told NPR that in 2003, the manufacturers were telling the CDC they weren't receiving orders for the vaccine. So to remedy this, the CDC started changing the definition of a flu death to start driving the numbers up. This, in turn, drives fear and ultimately drives vaccination. How they did this is coined the term influenza-associated death. Solomon writes in his article, Cause of death statistics are based solely on the underlying cause of death, as the disease or injury which initiated the train of events leading direct, directly to death. And that's an explanation from the National Center for Health Statistics. Because the flu was rarely an underlying cause of death, the CDC created the sound-alike term, influenza-associated death. With this new definition, the CDC's computer models would now count people who died of a real underlying cause, let's say heart disease for an example, as a flu death. To give you a flavor of what this looks like, the CDC reported 61,100 flu deaths in the 2017-2018 flu season. If you look in the National Vital Statistics Database, the true number of flu deaths as attributed on the death certificates for that time period was about 11,100, a difference of 50,000. I'll drop a link to the database in the description box and you can check it out for yourself. So if that wasn't enough to make the case that the CDC is playing the people for fools, here's more. The CDC came up with a little presentation, again, I'll link this in the description box as well, that outlines the seven, what they call the seven-step recipe to generate demand for the flu vaccine. Dr. Nowak presented this at the 2004 National Vaccine Summit. I urge you to click on the link. In it, you'll find in the, uh, the presentation a timeline for the 2003-2004 flu season showing how the communication went uh, to generate the fear. You'll find in that timeline such gems as when they release the information to the media mockingbirds. There's initial reports of pediatric deaths. 
more reports of pediatric deaths, and this is the worst flu season in 30 years. Also, you'll find the CDC's seven-step recipe that fosters higher interest and demand for flu vaccines. So point one here is to make sure to emphasize that the dominant strain and initial cases are associated with severe illness or outcomes that occur among people for whom the flu is not perceived to cause serious complications. Think healthy people here. Also, they want to be in cities with significant media outlets. Then you get the medical experts and public health officials to publicly trump up a narrative of a dangerous flu season ahead. This combination activates the media mockingbirds and drives fear in people to go get the flu shot by framing everything in terms of severe or deadly narrative. From here, they continue feeding the narrative with continued reports of how severe the flu season is, keeping the fear porn going. Then they start trotting out the pictures of kids or families who appear sick, trying to further drive the perception of a deadly outbreak. The final step is to continually reference it to pandemic flu levels. The CDC runs up estimated case totals and deaths every year to keep people in fear of the flu, so they'll take that vaccine. The last three seasons saw an average of 39 million estimated flu cases. Now that's estimated. There's not 39 million people getting a flu test every year. There's half a million hospitalizations and an average the last three years of 38,000 deaths. This is all by CDC estimates. You look at the National Vital Statistics Database, however, it shows an average of 6,800 deaths by the flu on average, the last three years. So now, does this all sound familiar? It should. History is repeating itself. Could it be because no one fears the flu anymore and vaccine demand is going down? There's a CNN article from September 26, 2019, by Jen Christensen that is headlined, Only half of Americans plan to get a flu shot this year. People know it's not a super effective vaccine. Why waste the time to go get it? Is this why now the CDC is running up coronavirus numbers? They've got some new vaccine buddies to satisfy? The media and our state and local governments are playing us as well. They're playing right along with the CDC. Now remember, the flu the last three seasons averaged 39 million cases. Corona stands a bit over 11 million at this point, about the same time frame of a flu season. Flu hospitalizations the last three years, on average, are half a million. Coronavirus has seen an aggregate total of half a million. So now tell me again how we have widespread hospital bed shortages when 500,000 people have been hospitalized in total this year from coronavirus but we don't hear a peep about bed shortages when the flu hospitalizes a half a million people a year. The CDC is trying also to run up the death count. Remember when they quietly came out and said, eh, really 6% of the deaths are attributed directly to the, the COVID. The rest are really from underlying causes that those individuals had. Well, right now, 6% of the total is 15,000 people. 
Now, don't be mistaken. Any death is tragic, uh, but it's not the 250,000 the CDC is putting out there as the death toll from coronavirus. In those other 94% of deaths, there was an average of 2.6 additional conditions or cause for death, according to the CDC's own website. The way they tabulate the death tolls is like saying my house fell in on itself because the wind blew. But never mind the neglected maintenance and termites that chewed up the frame. Further proof that the CDC is running up the death toll any way they can is this story from the Portsmouth Herald. Hadley Barndollar, that's a great name, writes of the Durgan Pines Nursing Home, where the CDC is trying to count three COVID deaths, but the Durgan Pines Nursing Home is saying it's only two. Durgan Pines is counting two people. Both were in their 90s as COVID deaths. They had contracted the virus, had inactive, had active cases. The CDC also wants to count a woman who was tested positive, but was asymptomatic, not an active case. The woman also happened to be on end-of-life care. So how is this a COVID death when it's not even an active case? The, this poor woman was in the nursing home under end-of-life care. She died of her terminal illness, not an active COVID case. But the CDC is eager to run up numbers. It wants to count as many deaths as it can. It helps them drive people to the vaccine that's now under, under development and, and close to being ready. This is one more example of how the CDC is driving up fear ahead of the vaccine. I have one more example, and then I'll tie this up. This has to do with the one flimsy study that the CDC used to change the exposure guidelines. People weren't fearful enough. They were getting too close and friendly with one another. And not enough were being polled and saying that they'll take the vaccine once it's ready. So the CDC needed a way to stop that and, and drive the fear up back up again. Start up that fear machine. They want to drive that vaccine acceptance and, and usage. So the study they used to justify changing the exposure rules to 15 minutes exposure in total to someone with coronavirus in a 24-hour period at six feet comes from Vermont. I'll link this in the description box as well. It's, a, again, a CDC study. So this study is of a corrections officer who had contact with six incarcerated individuals who were asymptomatic and were actually awaiting uh, results of a COVID test. The officer never spent uh, 15 minutes at a time uh, per interaction within six feet of any of the inmates, but he did so accum uh, cumulatively throughout the shifts, a minute here throughout uh, their shift, a minute here, a minute there, etc. This corrections officer ended up contracting coronavirus. Now here's the kicker. The inmates all wore masks, and that officer always wore a mask, a gown, eye goggles during every interaction. And during most interactions, they also wore gloves. So what is that BS line they keep parroting? Mass slow the transmission. Well, here's a real live case where the CDC is debunking its own guidelines. 
Inmates had masks on. The officer had a mask, gown, and eye protection on, as well as gloves most of the time. Yet this correction officer still came down with coronavirus. Now, given what we know about uh, how this thing spreads, it's likely it wasn't the interaction with the inmates that caused it, whether it be the length of time, the distance, anything like that. It was being inside with an airborne pathogen that is being recirculated through the HVAC system. Yet the CDC chose this flimsy study as the basis for changing the exposure guidelines. And even though it's clear no amount of PPE, no amount of distancing will stop the virus, they continue to push mask usage. They continue to push fear. To me, this is about driving that fear controlling the population, as well as selling vaccines. Now let's go back and remember, what's that recipe? Make sure it sounds really bad, especially those to those who are not vulnerable. Think again how vague they are with the actual age groups that are getting really sick and dying. Make sure it is uh, in metro areas that this communication takes place with significant media presence. Think about where this started. It started in Seattle. Then New York City blew up. Get medical experts and health officials in front of a camera to tell us this is bad and really bad. Keep feeding it to the media mockingbirds so they can beat the story like a dead horse to to drive the continual fear. Present visible examples of severity. Now let's think about how many times CBS has been caught through this whole pandemic using pictures that weren't even related to the outbreak. And a final step, reference a pandemic. How much have we heard about 1918 through all of this? Folks, flu and coronavirus are serious. So please don't think I'm saying we should not take them serious. We should. We need to protect the most vulnerable, as well as do what we need to do to protect our own health. Now, as you may be able to tell, I, I think the the mandates for masks and, and PPE are useless. I'm not big on the vaccine train for either flu or coronavirus either. What I want to do is put this info out there so we can all see what's going on. We can all make our own choices. We can all investigate for ourselves. We are being manipulated by our government agencies. By all means, you, you research and do what is right for you. That's what liberty is all about. Personal choice and freedom to make your own decisions. And that's what is important here, is maintaining our liberty, our freedom of choice, making our own decisions. And as Americans, we do that by continuing to challenge our elected officials and bureaucrats on their BS mandates based on flimsy science and their desire for control. We need to return to our traditions. We need to see our families. So I say gather for those Thanksgiving dinners with family. Do so safely. Do so using common sense. We need to show these tyrants they will not erase our traditions And we will exercise our right to liberty. I'm grateful you've chosen to spend some time with me. 
I would truly appreciate it if you would subscribe to and share my podcast with friends and family. Please email me feedback. My address is livingwithliberty at usa.com. Follow and ring my bell for updates at my social media home on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must continue to fight and protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.